Welcome to One Cause Church. Here is another inspirational message from Senior Pastor Eric Holler. All right, praise God. First Corinthians, we're going to be in chapter 15 this evening. First Corinthians chapter 15. Um, I'm probably going to spend some time in this chapter uh, over the next few Wednesdays. There's so much in it. And uh, so we're just going to take our time walking through it tonight. I want to say thank you to uh, Maddie Land, wherever she is. Does she still go to church here? Oh, yeah, there she is back there, our worship leader and, and all of our team. You guys were just rocking tonight. Thank you so much. I appreciate you bringing your talents and your gifts and uh, serving the Lord with them and helping us to enter into uh, this time of worship to bless the name of Jesus and that new song was cool. Did you write that? No? No. It was good. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and let's begin reading in verse 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 1. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you. So, Paul is saying something important here. He said, I'm about to tell you what I've already told you. (laughs) That's important for us. We have to continue to come back to this central truth over and over again. That is the challenge of a preacher, for sure, to uh, keep things simple, to cover as much as we can from the Scriptures and to help you in your life to work through and walk through the different issues and relationships that you have and all the dynamics and but keep it central to the gospel and keep the preaching of the word central to the person of the gospel the Lord Jesus Christ and so Paul says I'm about to tell you what I've already told you now it's interesting that in Corinthian these Corinthian letters he's writing to the church in Corinth which is uh, the capital city of the region of Achaia and and uh, Paul had come there to, and founded this church not long after it had been actually reestablished. At one point, it, it was in ruins, and it was about maybe five to six years old when he came here. And the uh, city was just uh, hustle and bustle, and a uh, menagerie, for lack of a better word, of culture. And uh, so Paul comes in to establish this church, and there's a, lots of pagan kind of worship there and practices and temples and all that. So he comes to this church and the, the book of these two books, First and Second Corinthians, really had to deal with what the sanctified life looks like or the set apart life looks like. So he delves into all kinds of issues and answers lots of questions that the Corinthians had. So there's not a lot of theology in these books. There's uh, Rome, it's not like Romans or Ephesians uh, like that, but we find some of the most dynamic theological truths in here, and one is right here in this fifteenth chapter. Second uh, Corinthians five is also a very theological chapter, but um, there's not much more than that. There are some spots here and there because Paul is dealing really mostly in practical terms: how to live this life, what the Christian life and the walk looks like, and we need that. But here, he takes them back to the centrality of all that we are, all that we know in Christianity, um, what really has um, brought us into the kingdom and, and what 
brings us into greater experiences in the kingdom. And it is a message, it's a message that we preach. And he says, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you also, which you also, also you received and in which you stand. Do you notice what he said? You stand in the gospel. You stand in the gospel. You received it and now you stand in it. You stand in the gospel. Uh, I think it, he said it kind of another way uh, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 2 where it says, through, well, verse 1 says, uh, therefore having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then 2 says, through whom also we have access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Did you see that? We stand in grace. We stand in the gospel. That is, we stand in a place of undeserved, unmerited, and unearned favor with God. It's not something we strive towards. It's something we stand in. This message is a glorious message. This reality, this Christian reality, is a glorious reality. This is where you stand. This is your position in grace, in the favor of God. You stand in the gospel, which is the grace of God, the gospel of grace. Whew, wow. And we stand in this gospel because what Jesus did when he died for our sins and was buried and rose again was he purchased things for us. And we stand in the gospel that not only purchased our eternal life, how many of you are grateful that you're going to heaven tonight? Huh? That, that this earth is not everything to your existence? Hallelujah. But he created promises for us. And uh, when Jesus walked this earth, he made promises, and as he made promises, he was building for us a covenant. You know, it was interesting that Jesus could have died in that manger as a baby and still taken away the sins of the world. He had the divine blood running through his veins. He could have died for our sins right there because he was no more a son of God 33 years later hanging and dying on that cross for our sins than he was as a baby in that manger. So it could have been accomplished there. But there was more to know than just the fact that he died for our sins. He came to build a covenant, to establish a covenant, and to bring to us a better covenant established on better promises. So we as Christians, we understand covenant. We understand the co covenant in the institution of marriage. It's how we understand that we stand. Those of you who are, how many of you are married here? All right, you, one place, maybe at a church or at a courthouse or your Uncle Bill's barn, wherever it might have been, that you stood together and you made exchanges. You exchanged vows or promises to one another. You made these promises. A lot of people have just kind of opted out these days. They just live together and act like they're married and act like they're married because they are not really sure that they could keep promises, so it's just easier to just act the part. But a covenant is established upon an exchange. An exchange of vows where a man and woman stand there together to pledge their love to one another and to pledge their future love to one another and what that looks like. Forsaking all others, I'll keep myself only unto you as long as, uh, till death do us part. As long as we live on this earth. 
And, and my love is exclusively in that way for you. No one else is going to have my heart like you. If, if for some reason, Jonna, when you got married to Brian, what if he had told you while you were standing up there on that day, I remember that day because I married you, standing up there on that day and Brian said, Jonna, I'm giving you 99% of my heart. But I got this ex-girlfriend that I told her she would always have a place in my heart. So she gets 1%, but you get 99. Is the wedding going to continue from that point forward? Heck no. Because a covenant is all of you. It's all of you. Forsaking all others, keep myself on unto you. And then... Then you kind of talk about the things that you might be tempted to be separated in. Sickness. Maybe even health. You're so healthy, I can't stand you. I don't know. <laughs> for richer, for poorer, for better, for worse. I'm keeping my promise to you. And so all of that covenant that you would walk out is established upon promises that you make to one another. And a ring to signify that promise. It's a glorious thing. Now, a lot of people get married, but Christians do better than that. Believers make covenant. Because Christ is the center of your life. You understand that this spouse does not complete you like Jerry Maguire once said. You complete me. Because if that's your thinking about your spouse, you have done them a great disservice. Because they cannot complete you. He makes you complete. The Christian is two whole persons coming together in the union of marriage. You understand? We're complete in him, not complete in one another. Amen. So you, you want to help give your spouse a break when you expect that, them to do what only God can do actually for you. Amen. Doesn't that help you a little bit? Maybe breathe a little easier tonight? Okay, the pressure's not on you to complete them. Amen. All right. I mean, it's all nice and romantic sounding, but not altogether practical. We stand in this gospel. So Jesus, Jesus made these promises and, and, and this covenant is based upon giving your life, but it's also based upon promises. Now think about this, that Jesus, as I said, he could have, just, he could have died in, in that manger and, and took away the sins of the world, but he had something to do. He had something to show us. He had something to offer to us. He said some pretty outlandish things. Things that you really can't ignore about this man. Especially in the, in the way of believing that he is God in the flesh. He proved that. Thomas, the doubting disciple is what he's called. I think he got over his doubts. He died for this gospel. took the gospel to India. I stood in the church that was first established by the apostle Thomas in southern India. An amazing thing. 63 AD, it was established. Um, but remember, he was struggling at one point. Jesus said, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. and I, the, the, the way I'm going, you know the way. And Thomas said, we don't know where you're going, and we don't know the way. What are you talking about, Jesus? 
And after he was risen from the dead, he had appeared to some of the, the, the apostles, and, and Thomas said, I, okay, I'm going to have to stick my hand in that hole in his side and pierce my finger through that hole in his wrist where they hung him and before I believe. Well, Jesus showed up and said, all right, Thomas, go for it. And when he did, the scripture says that Thomas fell to his knees and said, my Lord and my God. Now, if Jesus was only a man, he would have done what the other men who feared God and were credited as being gods did. No, 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 I'm just a man. Don't say that. God is God, I'm just a man. And Jesus didn't say that. He didn't correct Thomas when he called him Lord and God. He said, Thomas, because you've seen me, you've believed. Blessed are those who have not seen me. Those people in McKinney, Texas. Those people who have not seen me and yet believe. You are blessed tonight because you believe in him whom you have not seen. And Peter says, though we don't see him, yet we know him. We know him without seeing him because our faith is the assurance. Our faith in him is the assurance. This is, this is marvelous. He, he went around and, he, and he, like I said, he made these outlandish prom, uh, promises and things that you can't, you can't ignore, things that you have to face. You have to deal with this man, Jesus Christ, who said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father but by me, which basically it does cancel out all other religions of the world as being authentic and real. That one statement. You have to deal with the man Jesus and what he said. You have to either believe that he is who he said he was or he was a maniac. People don't just talk like that unless they're either crazy or they're telling the truth. He says stuff like this. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask whatever you wish and it shall be done for you. Wow. Whatever things you desire when you pray, believe you receive them and you will have them. If you can believe, all things are possible to him who believes. I say to you, ask and you will receive. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and to him who seeks he finds and to him who knocks the door will be opened. You think, wow. And then Jesus didn't try to explain that. He just left it out there. Religious people try to explain it away, though. Just try to talk us right out of faith all the time. Now, obviously, Jesus didn't mean everything. That's what he said. What else am I supposed to believe? He said everything. Surely we're all mature enough to understand. You can't just have what you want. Jesus said, whatever things you desire, when you pray, believe that you receive it. How, how do you interpret that any other way? Because of your doubt, because of your unbelief. Oh, man, if we could just, what if we just took him at his word fully? What if we believe that Jesus was speaking literally to us in this way? These aren't just allegorical terms. These are things that we can really grab a hold of and believe and live a life that otherwise would virtually be impossible. But he takes the impossible out. Hmm. Now, verse 2. We're getting a long way in this chapter, aren't we? By which also you are saved. 
by which also you are saved. Now, I want to give you the Greek word for this, for this word saved. It is the word sozo. It's spelled S-O-Z-O. It is the largest definition for salvation. There are soterio, and uh, I'm not going to get into all those, but, but sozo is the total package of what all this salvation is. He said, by which you are saved. So this isn't just meaning made righteous or saved from eternal punishment. That is part of it, but that's not the whole of it. Can I, can I just encourage you tonight? I want to read what he said. He said, because you, you stand in this gospel, you received it, and it's by this gospel that you're saved. Look what, look what all is included in this. It means to preserve, to make whole. To keep safe and sound. To rescue from danger or destruction. To save one suffering from disease. To make well. To heal. To restore to health. And it goes on and on and on and on. See, this is why we need to continue to hear the gospel. Because the gospel has everything we need in it. It's more than just salvation from hell. More than just an eternal home in heaven. And that's wonderful in and of itself, isn't it? But there's rescue here on this earth from danger, from disease, from sickness, from lack. Safety, refuge. It's a marvelous word. When the woman with the issue of blood, do you remember? How she came to Jesus, she had spent all her money on her doctors. All that she had, and, and the scripture says that the doctors couldn't help her. As a matter of fact, she only got worse. Hopefully you've never been to that doctor, but it does happen. Can I remind us here today, they are what's called practicing medicine. <laughs> They're not experts in medicine. They're practicing. All right. She grew worse, and now she's desperate because in, in the Jewish culture, she has no place in society the woman who has an issue of blood because she's deemed unclean by the law. Twelve years she's suffering with this. Twelve years. She'd had enough. She heard about a man that healed people. She heard about a man that forgave sins. And so she said within herself, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can just grab the bottom of that robe, I know I'll be made whole. As a matter of fact, she said, I know I will be sozo. And she did, and she was. She grabbed a hold of the hem of that garment, and the scripture says that she was immediately, immediately that, that issue was dried up. Immediately, and she felt within herself that she was healed. Jesus wasn't even doing a healing service. He wasn't doing it. He was walking through a crowd, and she walked up behind him and stole it from him. I love that. You see how God sees faith? Huh? He always honors it. You walk by faith, you ask by faith, you absolutely will not be denied. Just took it. He said, hey, I felt healing go out of me. Who touched me? Marvelous thing. Sozo. Say sozo. Sozo. By which also you are saved. If you can just wrap your mind around what Jesus did, then everything he said can happen for you. 
Then it goes on further. It says, if you hold fast, or the King James says, keep in memory that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. What a shame. So you see what I'm saying? We have to keep coming back to this. Why? Because we can forget. Because we can forget. You can forget. And when you forget, you start making up rules. You start making up your own process. Hmm? When you forget the gospel, then really you forget about Jesus and what he's done for you. If you forget about him, then you start trusting in yourself. And that's when the fan gets hit. For for I delivered to you, first of all, verse 3, that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Isn't that interesting? Why did he say according to the Scriptures? See, we don't just believe that Christ died for our sins, and we do believe that, but he says it like this so that we also believe that he died for our sins according to, to how the Bible tells us that he would do it. And the Bible does tell us. I'm going to bring a couple more things. Psalm chapter 22. You all know Psalm 23, right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But Psalm 22 is, I want you to listen to the, the language of this. This is King David. He's writing this psalm hundreds and thousands of years before Jesus. Now watch this. My God, my God, that's how, this how it opens up. Why have you forsaken me? Whoa. When did that happen in Jesus' life? He said those very words on the cross. Jesus is quoting Psalms. No, pardon me. Psalms is quoting Jesus. <laughs> my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me and from the words of my groaning? Let's keep going. Oh, my God, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and I'm not silent. Verse 23. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, delivered them. They cried to you and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. Watch this. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head, saying, He trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. Some of the very words that were said at the foot of Jesus' cross by those who were scoffing at him. Next. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breasts. I was cast upon you from birth, from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Verse 11. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, for there is none to help. Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of Bashan have encircled me. Mm. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue clings to my jaws, talking about all the blood that he, blood loss. You have brought me to the dust of death. Verse 16, for dogs have surrounded me. What are dogs here? The Gentiles. The Roman soldiers, the congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. Well, that didn't happen to David. All these years earlier, talking about what would happen. Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Next, I count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. That's exactly what the soldiers did. They rolled the dice. 
I don't know if they had dice, but however they gambled, cast lots. And, and, and they took, Jesus had two garments. One was his tunic, which is the undergarment. The other one was the outer garment. They took that outer garment and they ripped it in four places and divided amongst them. But then when they saw that tunic and it was seamlessly woven, one piece, they decided they knew it was valuable. So one guy got that. They kept it intact. My clothing, the cast lots. Okay, so I, I want to, you can continue to read that sometimes. Psalm 22, it's, it's, it's stunning. Um, the, the, the prediction or the prophecy of the Messiah. Now, let's go to Isaiah chapter 53 as well. And we see this again. Um, many, many, this is even before, uh, uh, this is before the, uh, this is before Jesus came. <laughs> I don't even know where I was going with that. Who has believed our report? To whom has the law, arm of the Lord been revealed? You ever, you ever just, your mouth is going and, and, and all of a sudden your brain's like, what the heck are you saying? Where are you going with this? Had one of those moments, I'm sorry. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of the dry ground. He has no form nor comeliness or comeliness. And when we see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. I, I, that right there tells me something about Jesus. He doesn't probably look like many of the pictures that we have of him. Right? That he's this stunning, handsome man. He says that he had no beauty that we would desire him. This average looking guy, probably. Hmm. For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant and as a root out of dry ground. He has no form. Oh, wait, wait. There, uh, next verse. Sorry. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we did not esteem him. 54. Surely. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him, stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. In other words, we saw him as one who was cursed by God. We didn't see that it was an innocent man. We didn't see that he was dying for our sins. We didn't see that he was carrying our sickness and pain. We looked on him and saw the cursed man. And was he smitten by God? Yes, he was and afflicted. Not because he did anything wrong, but because we did. Verse 55, or 5, I'm sorry. But he was wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Wow. Again, he died for our sins according to the Scriptures. Verse 6, all we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. When you read throughout the Old Testament and God is speaking to the children of Israel, he talks about their straying all the time. They strayed and they were punished for that. Again and again, they were punished for their straying. Sometimes they would be turned over to foreign nations because they just forgot the Lord their God. They didn't esteem him any longer. Even their sacrifices were, had become an abomination to God because they were just going through the motions. They would go and slaughter the animal for their sin, but then continue to live life how they wanted to. So there was no relationship. It was just religious gyrations. That's all it was. That's all it produced. And God would call them out on it. But here, here, he was showing us a new reality that would happen. I'm not blaming you for your sins any longer. I'm going to blame my son. I'm going to lay the iniquity of all of you on him for all of your straying and living life however you want to to please yourself. What an amazing thing that Jesus did for us. Whew. The innocent man got blamed for what the sinner did. And that he was buried. 
and that he rose again the third day. Verse 4 of 15. According to the Scriptures. Why is it that Paul would go out of his way to say this again? Why didn't he say according to the Scriptures for the end? But he did it when he died and did it when he rose again. Why would he say it twice? To keep us on the Word. To keep us on, in the Bible. Because the Bible is the truth. And it will keep you in truth. Before I go any further... Are there any questions here in the room tonight? No? Wow. Not very inquisitive tonight, are you? <laughs> it's all right. And that he was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve, Cephas being Peter. It's another name for rock. After that, he was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. When did Paul see Jesus? On the road to Damascus. But he didn't see Jesus like the other guy saw him. How did it explain? How did the scripture describe what Paul saw? He saw a great light. He saw a great light and he heard Jesus' voice. See, Paul didn't know Jesus in the flesh like Peter and James and John and those other guys. He knew him through the Spirit because he knew that we would need to know and only could know Jesus by the Spirit. So he revealed himself through the Spirit to Paul so that he could reveal himself through the Spirit to us. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. Mm. Last of all, he was seen by me also as one born out of due time. Oh, wow, isn't that something? Why did I shut this? I'm almost, I'm almost through, though. Y'all were getting excited, but... Let's, let's keep reading. But I am the least of the apostles. I am the least of the apostles who am not worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Now let me say something about this, about what was just said by Paul. This is Paul's opinion of himself. This is not God's opinion of him. Matter of fact, when Jesus spoke of Paul, or at that time Saul, Jesus said, he is my chosen vessel. All right? But Paul the man... Paul the man knew what he had done because he had persecuted the church of God. I'm not worthy to be called an apostle, but, but verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Aren't you grateful for that tonight? Tonight you are who you are. By the grace of God. Why don't we just say that tonight? I am what I am. By the grace of God. Hallelujah. You're not... Maybe who you want to be or strive to be, but praise God, you're no longer who you once were. Amen. You're growing. You're moving forward. I, by His grace, I am what I am, and His grace toward me was not in vain. But I labored more abundantly than they all, yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. 
Therefore, whether it was I or they, so we preach and so you believed. I'm going to have to come back to that next time. Uh, I preach and, there, and, there, and therefore you believe. But I want, to sh- I want to share with you one quick story. And you men I, who are at men's breakfast, you heard me talk about this. Um, this, this, this sanctified life that we're living, what the gospel continues to bring us out of and into. Let me remind you tonight that in Christ, you have so many more tomorrows than you do yesterdays. As a matter of fact, that's all you really have. The old things are gone and the new things have come. And so he's always wanting you to be looking forward, a future and a hope is there for you. That's what he gives you. He has thoughts of peace towards you. Carlos moved to, did I tell you guys this story? Miami, Arizona. Hmm? I haven't told you all this. I don't know. Did I tell this here? Or just means breakfast. Okay, good. As I was telling it, I started second-guessing myself. Carlos was he regretted the fact that his family moved to Miami, Arizona. There is a Miami, Arizona. For no other reason than because of his next-door neighbor, Bobby. Bobby was bigger than Carlos, and Bobby beat Carlos up all the time, just about every day. Bullet him. Carlos was not happy about this. Carlos was half Indian, Cherokee, and the other half was Irish. But Bobby just saw a white kid because in that area, it's almost all American Indians. And so because he was white, he beat on him. Every day, there was the same thing. Dash for the house as soon as school is over and try to outrun Bobby so he doesn't get beat up that day. Same way, same thing. Jack was a gas station owner who watched this scenario day in and day out and watched Carlos once in a while would make it all the way home, but not usually. And every time Bobby would catch him, he would pound him into the dirt. Well, One day, Jack decided to do something. He stepped out of the gas station when he saw Carlos running toward his house, and he stopped him. He said, Carlos, I want you to listen to me. Carlos let him know the urgency of his situation and that he had to get home. And Jack said, no, you stand there and listen to me. Today, the running stops. Today, you're going to face this boy. Today, you're going to fight for yourself. Carlos was not excited about that news. But Jack persuaded him. And the longer Jack told him he could do it, the more confidence Carlos had Until not soon after that, here comes, or soon after that, I should say, here comes Bobby running full speed ahead for Carlos. And a surprise surprise attack took place. Carlos didn't wait for Bobby to even throw the first punch. Carlos went after him. I mean, he wrestled Bobby to the ground and started giving him a pounding that he had been giving him day after day after day and finally heard the words, I give up, I give up. And from that day forward, Carlos and Bobby would become good friends. The fight was over. The war was over. Carlos, it did something to him. It was a moment in his life that changed everything for him. 
as one who only at one point saw himself as a weakling who had no fight in him to a boy who knew if he did fight, he could win. And that so motivated him that he kept on fighting, not bullying people, until he became the world middleweight karate champion. And that from 1974 to 1978. Not only that, he went into acting and produced box office smash hits. <laughs> no pun intended. Carlos Ray Norris, who had become known as the beloved Walker, Texas Ranger. Chuck Norris. No longer who you used to be. You're no longer who you used to be because you heard a message. You heard a message that said you don't have to die for your sins. Christ died for your sins. So you don't have to die from your sins. You don't have to be bound by it any longer. Jesus Christ paid it all. And he was buried and he carried those sins far away from you. And he rose again. As Brian said earlier, he rose so you know you'll rise. Everything Jesus did, he did for you to experience. If he died, then you died. Ah, hallelujah. If he rose, then you're going to rise. Hey, listen, if the dead don't get to rise, then Jesus didn't rise. But he did. And that's later on in this chapter. So you'll rise too. If there is no rapture of the church, then he didn't ascend into heaven. But he did. And so will you. He did it for you. This man, Christ Jesus, is here. There, I should say, praying for you right now. Seated next to Almighty God. A man seated there. The man, Christ Jesus, mediating between God and man for our sake. As long as he's there, all Mankind has hope. When I say mankind, I mean women kind too. Right? I heard a preacher once say, hey, if we got to be the bride of Christ, ladies, you can be sons of God. <laughs> Amen. Joseph, come here for just a second. I'll close with this. I want you to Tell what happened with your sister. I came to church Sunday, and I got in the knees a couple days before my sister Lisa. I lost my oldest sister a year and a half ago to cancer and to diabetes. And my youngest sister called me and told me, said, I don't know what to do. I've been diagnosed with stage 4 breast cancer, and they want to do a scan on me to see whether they feel the cancer spread throughout the rest of my body and they doesn't look good and she was really down and depressed so I told her I said I'm going to probably go to church I'm going to pray for you I said just believe God can do great things for you so I came to church Sunday morning I got with Pastor Jeremiah and we prayed with me and Kathy my wife and Jeremiah said a beautiful prayer and I just felt like God was talking to me as Jeremiah was praying that I needed to go to her and lay hands on her and pray for her and impart what we prayed there at church into her. And I knew she wouldn't understand it because my sister Lisa's Catholic. 
And But I obeyed God. I knew that's what God wanted me to do. It was so strong. So I went over there Sunday afternoon, brought my anointing oil, and I laid my hands on my sister, and I told her what I was going to do, and I prayed for her. I imparted what me and Pastor Jeremiah and Kathy had prayed in church Sunday morning into her life. I told her, I said, by his stripes you're healed. Jesus died for you and shed his blood so that we would not have to suffer with diseases and death, that we're going to live eternal life. And I prayed for my sister. when she had the PET scan done, and it came back today. She has no cancer. She's cancer-free. Thank you, Jesus. (laughs) Praise God. Hallelujah. If the dead do not rise, Christ is not risen. If miracles have ceased, then Jesus never did them. Woo! But He did. So they're still happening today. Amen. Amen. How many of you believe in miracles today? Because hmm? you, you have in you the God of miracles. Anything's possible with our God. Lord, thank you right now. You're a very present help in time of need. Lord, you know everyone here in this room, those that are listening here. Uh, I thank you right now, God. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you right now. Oh, God, there is need here. There are situations that are here tonight in people's lives where they need a supernatural intervention. They need God to perform His Word in a miraculous way. Lord, they love you. They they believe in you. And Jesus, you made one of those promises. You said, if you can believe, all things are possible. Lord, there are some here tonight who are facing what looks to be an impossible situation. What a perfect opportunity for the God who, is, who makes all things possible to step in. Lord, I thank you. Not only can you, that's not enough for us to know about you, that you can do miracles, that you are able. Oh, God, our reality in this new covenant that is established upon better promises is not only to know that you can, but you will. You're willing. You paid such a high price to prove it to us. That if you would not spare Jesus, you won't hold anything back. Thank you, God, for refreshing our hearts tonight in faith, in love, in joy, and peace tonight, knowing that our God is able and willing. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, right now for meeting these needs according to your riches and glory by Christ Jesus. And I pray that your people would be strengthened for the joy of the Lord is our strength because our joy is not a temporary thing our joy does not come because circumstances have worked out well for us our joy comes because our names are written in heaven our joy is here because he he has brought us every good thing every good gift and every perfect gift has come from our father and so in that we rejoice knowing that you can make all things work together for good to those who love you, to those who are the called according to your purpose. Hallelujah. I want you right now, just stand where you are right now. If you're in a situation, you're in a tight spot, you're in a a place where you feel like your back's against the wall and your your face is up against a rock, right now I want you by faith to lift up your hands and just say, thank you, God. You know my need and you meet my need. I believe in my miracle-working God. 
I believe in your supernatural help. And I thank you for it. You, are, you have not left me. You've not abandoned me. You've not overlooked my situation. You are concerned about everything in my life. So, Father, I thank you that you are faithful to your word. You are faithful to me. And I know that I will come out victorious in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Praise God. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed the message. For more information about One Cause Church, please visit us online at onecausechurch.com.